Welcome back, everyone. I'm excited that you're back. It's hard to believe, but we are about two months into episodes. Time has gone by quickly. Unfortunately, at the time of this recording, we're still dealing with COVID-19. No baseball in sight at the moment, so I hope listening to this episode will help at least a little bit on getting your baseball fix. This week, we're going to talk about Freddie Freeman's chances of making the Hall of Fame and what he needs to do to get there. We'll also talk about some key milestones of other players that will be affected by this shortened or potentially canceled season. All right, let's go. Let's get started, shall we? First, I want to say that I may have come across as trashing certain players or something like that in the past. Well, I want you to know that that's not my intent. My intention is to help take off the Braves goggles and look at players from a strictly non-biased, statistically based view. I am guilty of wearing Braves goggles myself in the past, as I pointed out in a previous episode of how I thought Vinny Castillo was a lot better than he actually was. With all that being said, let's dig into Freddie Freeman's career and his chances of making it into the Hall of Fame. Fortunately, Freddie is nothing if not consistent. He is 10 years in and has not shown signs of regression yet. But regression will happen. It's just science. I will say before we dig in deep that he does have a legitimate shot to make it into the Hall of Fame, especially with how voters are coming around and actually looking at full bodies of work and not just the stats that catch the eye. There are many stats to consider, as well as many different measurements. The idea here is to give a bunch of different measurements that you can look at at his career and how it progresses. First, let's talk about war. I'm going to go baseball reference war here because it seems to focus a little more on offense than fan graphs. I typically would argue defense more in a debate, but the reality is that Hall of Fame voters, although they are coming around to it, just don't give defense enough credit yet. As most of us know, war is gained as an accumulation, sort of like home runs or hits, not batting average or on-base percentage. If you are confused on war, I highly suggest going back to some previous episodes where I break it down more. Freddie has accumulated 35.7 war in 10 years of work. However, his first season he only had 20 games. If we take off his first year, that would be 9 years of 35.9 war. He had negative war in his first 20 games. Average that out and that is approximately... 3.988 war per year. That is with a few years that he was injured for part of it, and other years that he played pretty much the entire year. If you want to look at just offensive war, since some voters unjustly disregard defense, he has an offensive war of 34.5. Let's look at Hall of Famers of the first pace position, the one that Freddie primarily plays. Of course, he did have a few games where he played third base uh, when Matt Adams was playing first, but 
We're just going to pretend like that never happened because that wasn't the best experiment and it was very short. There are 21 players who primary, primarily played first base in the Hall of Fame. Their average war output for their career was 66.9. Their average 7-year peak is 42.7. Unfortunately, Freddie's current 7-year peak is only 31.9. But, like I said, he's super consistent where a lot of these first basemen in the Hall were more streaky than him. There are a few outliers here. High Pockets Kelly, yes, that's a real name, obviously a nickname, but a real person, is somehow in the Hall of Fame with a career war of 24.9, and Jim Bottomley has a career war of 35. There are also guys in the Hall that have insane war totals. Lou Gehrig has a war of 114.1, Jimmy Fox at 93.1, and Holtz, who will be a shoe-in, is at 100 war currently which he may tack on some more in the next two years. There are some guys to look at here that Freddie has a high likelihood of catching that people could realistically argue that these players should not have been elected or definitely should have been uh, elected, and that would be just as justifiable. Tony Perez has a 54 war. Orlando Sapita has a 50 war. Harmon Killebrew has a war of 60. Hank Greenberg has a war of 55.7. George Sisler with a war of 54. Bill Terry with a war of 55.8. And Jack Beckley has a war of 61.7. I will leave whether or not all those players deserve to be elected to a different segment, but they are in there regardless. I just wanted to give you some players that already are in, and these players obviously could be debated you know, whether or not they should be in based on performance, not just votes meaning they're in, because obviously they are they are in. The main reason, too, I wanted to bring these players up is Freddie actually has a chance of catching these players in terms of war. Or, if since I haven't mentioned it already, wins above replacement. If we look at players of Freddie's profile, the average player plays around 19 to 20 years, give or take a few. For argument's sake, let's say Freddie has nine good seasons left since we won't get a full season this year. And there may be some seasons as he gets older that he will not get full seasons in. So for argument's sake, that will give him 18 full seasons of starting at first base. Like I said earlier, the average first baseman in the hall has a war of 66.9. Freddie needs 31.2 war to get there. That would mean if he can put out nine more solid years in the bigs, he would need to average 3.46 war per year. Like I said earlier, he is averaging 3.98 as of right now. So, if he keeps up his consistency that he has had, he will get there if he can stay healthy, even with this shortened season. However, it is just scientifically proven that he will regress with age. Fortunately, though, historically defense regresses way faster than offense, and first base does not hinge on defense as much as other positions. If I were to use a player as a measuring stick, I would say Harming Killebrew. He is a good person to look at, stats-wise, war-wise, to compare uh, with Freddie Freeman, because 
even though it can be argued either way that he should be in or not historically, I've never seen an argument that he should not be in, and Freddie has a realistic chance of making it to the level of Harmon Killebrew in terms of war. He is about as average of a Hall of Famer as they come, in my opinion. I believe if Freddie is able to surpass him, then there is at least an argument that he should be in. If we do the same calculations as before, Freddie would only need 2.7 war per season for 9 years of ball to match Killebrew's output. For reference, Freeman has only had a war of 2.7 or below in 2 of his full seasons in the league. The rest ranged from 3 to as high as 6.3. From a war standpoint, I believe Freddie is slowly making a case to be voted into the Hall. He won't be the first ballot guy like Chipper was, but he will be able to make a case if he stays healthy. Now, we would be naive if we did not realize that humans are doing the voting, and not some algorithm of stats that makes the votes. That being said, we need to look at some other factors that some voters look at. Bill James wrote a book called The Politics of Glory. In this book, he points out a few things that voters look at. The black ink test, the gray ink test, Hall of Fame career standards test, and the Hall of Fame monitor test. Again, this factors in the human element more so than true output, but should be looked at on deciding if we think humans will vote Freddie in. I don't agree with the method for the most part, but the truth is that humans look at these type of tests whether they should or not. So, the black ink test is based on how when a player leads a league in a stat, it is notated with bold black. There is a scoring that goes along with this. Uh, for example, if you look at Freddie Freeman, he led the league in uh, hits one year, I believe it was 192. So if you look at his stat sheet, unlike baseball reference or the back of a baseball card, it will be bold black letters. So, for, let's go to the scoring of this black ink test. For hitters, a player gets 4 points for leading the league in home runs, RBIs, or batting average. I hope you can see how this is clear, already clearly flawed. Nevertheless, needs to be looked at if we are evaluating his candidacy factoring the human factor. 3 points are awarded for leading the league in runs scored, hits, or slugging percentage, 2 points for leading in doubles, walks, or stolen bases, and 1 point for games played at bats or triples. It is important to note that this method penalizes more recent players since they play against 15 teams in their league versus 8 that the older players did. That being said, the average Hall of Famer has a black ink score of 27. Freeman currently sits at just 7. I don't foresee him reaching the average. The gray ink score is the same scoring platform, but factors in top 10 finishes rather than leading the league. Same caveats as the black ink as well as 15 teams versus 8. Freddie, being the king of consistency that he is, is much more on track with this metric, with an 89 when the average Hall of Famer is at 144. If you take out his 20 game first season, he is averaging 9.88 gray ink points a year. At his current pace, he would get to about 178 points if he plays 10 more years. 
Even if he regresses, he should meet the 144 average if he stays healthy. Again, this is even more recent players having their earlier mentioned disadvantage of playing against more teams. So, this is even more impressive. To me, this is telling on if he will make it. I think this is a really good sign for Freddie. The next metric I want to look at is the Hall of Fame monitor. Baseball Reference says it best when they say this metric, like the others in the attempt to assess how likely a player is to make the Hall, not how deserving they are. Again, this is more measuring if a player and uh, is going to make it based on the likeliness of them making it on the human factor of voting, not the true output of stats. It is important to realize that these are different. In this particular metric, 100 means a player is most likely to make it, whereas 130 is a shoe-in. It is important to note that Fred McGriff has an exact 100 here, and the highest vote count he got was a 39.8% vote, and that was his last year on the ballot. I just wanted to give you that for a reference. The way the metrics for, for batting is awarded is 2.5 points for each season with a batting average over 300, 5 points for over 350, and 15 for over 400, although obviously that's highly unlikely. 5 points for each season with more than 200 hits. It should be noted that Freddie missed this mark by only 8 hits in 2018. 3 points for each season with 100 RBIs or runs. 10 points for a 50 homer season. 4 points for 40, 2 for 30. 2 points for 45 doubles, 1 for 35. 8 points for winning MVP. 3 for each All-Star game and one for Rookie of the Year. One point for a Golden Glove for first baseman. One point for a first baseman if he wins a World Series. Obviously, that's a team stat, and you know me, I don't really agree with it, but that's how the scoring system works. Six points for leading the league in batting average. Four for home runs or RBI. Three points for uh, 2,500 total career hits. Four points for 2,000 career hits, 30 points for 60, sorry, 600 career home runs, 20 points for 500 career home runs, 10 for 400, and 3 for 300, 24 points for a lifetime batting average of 330, 16 points for a career batting average of 315, 8 points for a career average of 300. There are other bonuses for tougher positions that don't apply for Freddie since he plays first base. So far, Freddie has accumulated 46 points. He is a little behind pace to reach the 100 mark with a pace of 97, but he does not have any of the career milestone points factored in yet. So, if he continues his pace and he's able to hit some of those milestone marks, it's going to put him over the top of 100 if he can keep up this pace. Okay, there's one last metric I want to look at, and this is called... The Hall of Fame Standards Test. So, the average Hall of Famer has a score of 50, and the max a player has is 100. Babe Ruth is an outlier here. He has a score higher than 100, but that's because he was a two-way player, and they factored in some pitching. But other than him, the max you can get is a 100. Uh, this is, again, from James' book that we talked about earlier. So, the way it works for batters, 
is you get one point for each 150 hits above 1500 total with a limit of 10 points there. You get one point for every .005 of batting average above 275. Again, this is career limit of 9 points. One point for batting over 300. So you can get a bonus point there. One point for each 100 runs over 900, but you can get a limit of 8 points there. You'll get one point for each uh, .500 runs you score per game. So really it should be said more like one point for scoring more than half a run per game. Again, that is career. One point for scoring more than .644 runs per game. One point for each 100 RBIs over 800, a limit of 8 points. One point for driving in more than half a run per game. One point for driving in more than .6 runs per game. One point for each .025 slugging percentage points above 300. You can get a limit of 10 points there. One point for each .010 of on-base percentage over 300. Limit 10 points. One point for each 200 home runs. One point if home runs are more than 10% of hits. One point if home runs are more than 20% of hits. One point for each 200 extra base hits over 300 with a limit of 5 points. One point for each 200 walks over 300 with a limit of 5 points. One point for each 100 stolen bases with a limit of 5 points. Uh, there is some defensive value factored in here, but uh, with a first baseman, you don't get any extra. So, um, defense, unfortunately, is not going to help Freddie in this situation. But the good news is, Freddie is right on track to meet the 50 minimum at 25. And again, we haven't seen his entire career yet to get some of those bonus points. So, things are looking good for Freddie. These metrics are obviously far from perfect. They attempt to predict how, predict how likely a player are to be voted in, not show their true value. But voters is what gets players in the Hall of Fame. You may also notice that defense is not factored in too heavily. Uh, although first base is the easiest position defensively, so it's not like it would help Freddie that much anyways. Typically, Hall of Fame voters look strictly at offense for first baseman. However, other than the black ink test, it appears Freddie is slowly building a Hall of Fame case for himself if he can keep up the current pace for about 10 years with a little room for regression, even with this shortened season. He will need to stay healthy and not solo up too much, but there is obviously a chance he can make it. Uh, things are looking good if he can stay healthy I'm really excited for Freddie's career. Let's root him on. Alright, I think it's now is a good time to take a break. Welcome back from break, everyone. Let's jump right into it, shall we? So, Freddie is a Verge candidate, which means this COVID-19 shortened slash canceled season could end up hurting his chances. Much like the 94 strike hurt Fred McGriff, Fred missed 500 homers by 7. If you remember the Hall of Fame monitor metric, he would have gotten 20 more points there, giving him 120, virtually making him a shoe-in. 
Again, this metric is a likelihood of a candidate being voted in, not in if he is quote-unquote deserving, but you can see how something like that can really, like a shortened season, can truly affect a uh, player's chances. Speaking of that, let's look at some milestones that may be affected by COVID-19. Some players who probably already have their place ready for them in the hall, and some who this may hurt their chances to get in. We already touched on Freddy, so I will save you the redundancy. So let's start with some non-Braves, okay? So let's start with a player we already know has a spot in the hall in Albert Pujols. We kind of mentioned him already, but let's talk a little bit more about him. He is already one of only 32 players in history that has accumulated 100 war. Dude was a machine, pun intended, when he was in his prime. And he has done that at a weak defensive position. So he hasn't gained much war on defense. I mean, that's almost 100% offense right there. But there is one area that could be affected by this shortened season. He has... 661 doubles and 656 home runs already. He has slowed down tremendously with old age and injury. So the rate of hitting in uh, in all categories, but specifically doubles and homers, has gone way down. That being said, it would have been theoretically possible to get 700 doubles and 700 homers. If he would have been able to do that, he would have been the first player ever to do that. Okay, that's insane, right? His contract is through 2021. It is highly unlikely he will continue his career past that, especially as a starter. It looks like he will come just short of that amazing feat. Justin Verlander. Let's talk about him next. Obviously, this guy has probably already punched his ticket to the Hall of Fame, but he seems to be the last modern-day pitcher to ever have a shot at 300 wins again. With today's game and how pitchers are used, 300 wins is a thing of the past. Most teams employ five- to six-man rotations nowadays. Back in the day, a pitcher would take the mound much more often, resulting in a chance for more wins than you can get today. You all know my feelings on wins and how they do not show true value of a pitcher, but 300 wins used to be one of those things that was a milestone that was pretty much an automatic ticket to the Hall of Fame. Verlander currently has 225 wins. He is on a very good Astros team with a great offense to back him. He would have had a shot at 20-23 to 23 wins this year realistically. He is 37 years old but is still pitching at a very elite level. If he would have gotten 23 wins this year, he would have... It would have been possible for him to get that 300 mark. With a shortened season, I do not see that happening. Next, let's look at good old Miguel Cabrera. Here lately, he hasn't been hitting like an elite hitter that we know that he was in the past. That's just the truth, okay? But when he was good, he was fantastic. He has 1,694 RBI. It's no secret Miggy will be in the Hall of Fame. But how many ballots will it take? This may be hinging on if he can be only the fifth player ever to reach 2,000 RBI. He is under contract 
through 2023, but he is on a terrible Detroit team where there will not be many RBI opportunities like there were in the past when he was on a good team. I mean, it's just simple math. He, like Pujols, will probably retire when his contract is up. He would need to average 76.5 a season to reach the 2000 mark. Doable if he can stay in the heart of the lineup and stays healthy. However, cut out this season and he would need to average 102 RBI per year. That is simply just not going to happen. Another milestone that we are probably looking at as Braves fans is that Nick Markakis has 2,355 hits currently. That's actually kind of shocking to me. I knew he was consistent with hits, but honestly, I had no clue that he had this many hits. I knew he was close to 2,000, but I did not realize he had 2,355. He theoretically has a shot of 3,000 hits if he ends up going to a bad team in the future and retains a starting role. That won't happen in, in Atlanta, but his contract up is up this year, and he could theoretically move to, say, Detroit and be a starter. We don't know exactly how he would have been deployed this year, but this shortened season all but takes away his chances at 3,000. As far as players who have their chances of the Hall of Fame hurt by this season, the biggest one to me is Jacob deGrom. He has been insane the past few years. Uh, insane meaning insanely good, obviously. The problem, though, is that he started his career at age 26. He has accumulated 33 war so far, which is a lot, and is still pitching at a very elite level. However, other than Sandy Koufax, pitchers typically don't get into the Hall of Fame based on just peak alone. Every season from here on out is going to be telling on if DeGrom gets in because time, honestly, is ticking for him. If he can channel his inner Justin Verlander and Zach Grinke, he may still be good, but a shortened season for DeGrom, and by good I mean good as in getting into the Hall of Fame as he is projected to do if he continues up the great work for a long period of time, but a shortened season for DeGrom may end up being a Fred McGriff 2.0 scenario, unfortunately. Who knows, though? Voters are human. They may factor in, um, hey, he would have got this if COVID didn't happen or whatever, but that wasn't the case for, for McGriff, so odds are it wouldn't happen for Negrom, DeGrom either. The same could be said for Garrett Cole. Uh, very similar situation. He is at 23.3 work currently, but is 29 years old. He may have 10 years left or so, but injuries could happen, and even though his peak has been amazing, he still has some serious innings left to be put in before he would be considered for the Hall of Fame. Two Verge candidates that this could hurt as well are Andrew McCutcheon, who has surprisingly 44.8 war because we probably forgot how good he was during his peak, and Paul Goldschmidt, who has a 43.1 war. Kutch is 33, Goldie is 32. Both of them before last season were on track to make the haul, but Kutch was injured most of last season, and Goldie, to put it lightly, had a down year. This year was going to be very telling for them both on if they were going to make the Hall of Fame and keep trekking towards that. Goldie would need 23.8 war more to get the 
to make it to the average point of war for Hall of Famers at his position, which is first base, while Kutch would need 26.5 war to get to his position, his position's average in the Hall of Fame. Both of these are still possible, but, you know, with the way COVID-19 is, that's not going to help. During their peaks, they were ahead of schedule. However, the shortened season could go a long way on hurting their chances. Alright, that is the show, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this one. I had fun digging deep into these stats. Don't forget to subscribe and rate 5 stars if you like the show. And follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, or join the Facebook group Atlanta Braves Dugout. You can email questions or topics that you would like to hear at bravesdugout at gmail.com or visit the website at bravesdugoutpod.wixsite.com slash bravesdugoutpod. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you are looking forward to next Thursday as much as I am. I had a blast this week. Great talking to you guys. As always, chop on and go Braves.